Good morning. If you would turn to Psalm 105, we're going to be reading the entirety of it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servants, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are, are, his judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were a few in number of little account, and sojourners in it, wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked the king's account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron, until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the prophets set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of his possessions, to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate this people and to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He set darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters to blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of the kings. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout the country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke, and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of the ground. He struck down all the firstborn in their land and the first fruits of all their strength. Then he brought Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the dread of them had fallen upon them. He spread a cloud for a covering and a fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quail. He gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through like a desert, flowed through the desert like a river. For he remembered his holy promise, and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones singing, and he gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to be in the Lord's house this morning. Uh, if you would, join me in a word of prayer, and we'll begin our study in the Word. Father, we thank you for your church here at Hope in Christ. I pray, Father, that we would be a people who fix our eyes upon the Lord in all things, trusting in you with all of our heart. We thank you today for your word. 
and pray that we would be encouraged as we read it. We ask, Lord, that you would teach us what it means to worship you, to remember you, and to continually go back to those times when you showed up in the lives of your people. You are a God we can trust. And we thank you for your faithfulness through all generations. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today is the seventh anniversary for Hope in Christ Church. We can praise God for that. That's actually a a good thing. Uh, It's okay. We can give God praise for that. Um, Seven years. Seven years ago, the Lord began a good work. You know, I was thinking, growing up as a child, I, I remember watching with some regularity each year. It was sort of an annual event in our home growing up. Watching the sound of music. Anybody have seen that? Okay, good. I was going out on a limb figuring that most of you have probably seen that. Julie Andrews plays a nanny for a group of children. Parented by a former sea captain. Everything in that home was done precisely, orderly, timely, just like the captain wanted it. Fräulein Maria, as she was known, she became loved by the children over time. She made them clothes, you might recall, out of old curtains, for which the captain verbally chastised her. She was all about climbing every mountain with the children and playing, having picnics. In short, she loved them and cared for them in the absence of a father who, at the time, had been largely preoccupied with his own business. She became to these children much more than a nanny, but she becomes their mother. On one particular occasion, they're gathered on the hillside, and you might remember this scene, and she has her guitar with her, right? They're all in a circle. And she encourages them to sing with her. And one of them says, we don't know how to sing. We've never sung before. And so she starts playing on her guitar. And she begins with the basics. Let's start at the very beginning. Remember that? Huh? Not quite Julie Andrews-esque, but that's okay. A very good place to start. And she says, when you read, you begin with, and what's one of the children say? A, B, C. And she says, when you sing, you begin with? Do, re, mi. Do, re, mi. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti. One of the children says, well, that doesn't mean anything. And then she goes on and she says, that's why we put in words. One word for every note, right? When you know the notes to sing, you can sing most anything. Well, the beginning was a very simple tune. And before long, the children are all singing in perfect harmony. These children who have never sung before are singing in perfect harmony. And we'll give some leeway in light of the context. It's a musical. 
But you see, to learn how to sing, they had to begin with the basics. You know, I was thinking about that, and I was remembering when I preached my first message. Unfortunately, it got caught on video. It's a moment to forget. My wife's smiling. It's because she's seen it. I was a teenager. I don't know, 15? Sunday night service. Oh, it was painful to watch and listen to. But it was a beginning. It was a beginning. Maybe for some of you, you took that first job and you have a story of how it all began. Maybe your beginning was forgettable as well. But the beginning is necessary. The beginning oftentimes is basic. The beginning is laying the foundations of what is yet to come. The beginning is preparation, training ground for more difficult times in the days ahead. It was an old football coach. You might remember his name. He coached the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi. And it was after a tough loss, the next day in the locker room, he comes in to the guys and he's talking to the guys and he holds up that football and he says to the guys sitting in that locker room who just come off a tough loss, he said, men, this is a football. I'm sure all those guys who play football were like, that's a great, that's startling news. This is a football. But you see, the coach understood something. He was taking his team back to the beginning, back to the basics. They had forgotten some of the basics, it seems, and they needed to be reminded of the fundamentals once again. Church, as we look at Psalm 105, there is a call here to return to the beginning, a call to the basics. A reminder of why we're here. In the midst of all that's going on in your life, in the midst of all that's going on in the life of your household, in the midst of the church body, I'm grateful to the Lord for this psalm's call back to what is fundamental. If you just look with me at these first four verses. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Now, the theme of this psalm can be summarized in one word. If you leave here today and you remember one word, I'd like you to remember this word. It's remember. I believe that's what the psalm is talking about. Remember. So then there's a question. What is it that the psalmist would desire for us to remember this morning as we read Psalm 105? What is it that the psalmist would have us remember? The first thing I believe he would have us remember is worship. Worship. These first four verses that I just read. Be thankful to the Lord. Call upon Him in prayer. 
witness before the nations what the Lord has done. Lift your voice to the Lord in song. Give weight or glory. Give weight, give preference to the name of the Lord. We sing a song, glory to his name. Glory to his name. Hearts filled with rejoicing. As a child, you might remember that song, I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Pursue the Lord. Seek the Lord. Pursue the Lord with all your strength. Look unto Jesus. You see, the first thing, as we, as we look back in the scriptures, the first thing Noah, you remember Noah building an ark? The first thing Noah did when he stepped off that ark, do you remember? He built an altar. What was he doing? Was he just constructing an altar, period, end of, discourse, end, of, end of story? No, he was building an altar. It said something. It spoke of something. It spoke of his worship to God. He was grateful to God. When Abraham was in Shechem, the Lord appeared to him and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there, the scripture says, he built an altar to the Lord. He then moved on to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent. And the Bible says in Genesis 12, 6 through 8, that there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. He worshiped. You know, this response is also seen in the New Testament. When Jesus and Peter, when they get back into the boat after their time on the water, they get back into the boat and after seeing the wind cease, Matthew 14, says that the disciples worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. See, worship is intended to be a fundamental response to the one who made us and saved us. We are here to worship the Lord. The big picture, the beginning point is Worship. We were made to worship God, amen? We were made to worship Him. And we do that through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by means of the power gifted to us in the Holy Spirit given to those who believe by faith in Christ alone for their salvation. We are called to remember the beginning, to remember why We're here. Remember that God made you to worship him all your days. Not just on Sundays. All your days. Commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. God has called his people to worship him. God does not delight And will not settle for second place in your life. We are prone to turn down one or more of life's alleys each day. Each day. Looking for something else to quench the soul. Seeking some other pleasure. Some other desire that draws away from, not near to, the heart of God. 
remember worship. Seems like an odd reminder, really, doesn't it? Remember worship. I mean, if this is why we're here, and we spend our days doing lots of things other than besides worshiping the Lord, where does that leave us? The truth is, we are worshiping someone or something every day. You're giving weight, you're giving allegiance to someone or something with every one of your days. Choosing whom you are going to worship is a matter of the will. Remember Joshua? Remember the end of the book of Joshua, the end of his life? He's speaking to the people and he uses this word serve. He's asking really the same question. Who are you going to serve in your life? Who are you going to worship? The gods of your forefathers? Or the God of heaven who made you, saved you, rescued you? As I read these first four verses of Psalm 105, I don't get the idea that he's emphasizing the way things ought to be on a Lord's Day gathering like this. I believe the call here is to worship the Lord with your life. Worship Him with your life. Not just on Sunday. You're here today and you have opportunity to worship the Lord as a member of His body, here as a part of this local assembly, Hope in Christ Church. But, but the call to worship goes beyond these walls and this building. Amen? It goes beyond this. It must. This is a call back to the basics of what it is to be in Christ. Or the, the term that we use in Romans 6 is our union with Christ. This is a reminder of priority number one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And Jesus is in all your mind. Remember, worship. But the psalmist doesn't just call us to action. Praise the Lord, he's gracious here to provide us an impetus for doing so. He doesn't just say do this without giving us any reason to do it. Here in the text, he points immediately to the one he's called us to worship. He directs our gaze to the Lord and recounts for a moment his identity in the event that we have set aside who this great and mighty God is. Look at verses 5 through 12, just a few of those verses. Remember his marvelous works, which he's done, his wonders and the judgments, his works, his wonders, his judgments. In just a moment, he's going to just go through some of those works and wonders. In fact, that's the majority of this psalm. The audience in particular he's speaking to, O seed of Abraham, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones, He is the Lord our God. Verse 7. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Why are they in all the earth? Because the earth is His. The fullness of this world, it's all His. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever. The covenant which He made with Abraham, His oath to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel for an everlasting covenant. So not only are we to remember worship, 
But I believe he's going on here and he's saying, remember the God whom we worship. Remember worship, but be sure we also remember the God whom we worship. The psalmist is going to parse out some of the Lord's works and wonders and judgment here as we continue. I'd like to highlight two particulars, two particular things about this God we worship. First of all, from verse 7, he is the Lord our God. He is the Lord our God. He's the one overseeing all things. He's the one in control. Many of us give intellectual assent to that idea and we nod our head and we go, yeah, yep, 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 yep. Operationally, we don't live that way though. We don't live in such a way that we really do believe God is in control of all things. He's Lord of all. He's the master. He's the one calling all the shots. You see, your view of who God is will make all the difference when it comes to, as Joshua said, choosing this day whom you will serve. You remember the story of Elijah at Mount Carmel? Remember that? Elijah's at Mount Carmel. And with all of the prophets of Baal and Asherah gathered around him, Elijah confronts the people with a pointed question and a follow-up charge. Here's the question he asks. How long, people, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Those were the words from Elijah. Elijah says, stop wavering back and forth. That's the idea of the word falter, wavering back and forth. Stop wavering back and forth on who God is. If the Lord is God, follow him. We can apply this terminology into our day. Who are you following? If your computer is your God, you're going to follow that computer. You're going to do, you're going to just, just be glued to that computer. You're going to be glued to that screen. If your bank account's your God, you're going to always be consumed with what the stock market's doing every day. If your achievements are your God, you're going to keep pursuing all of these things in lieu of what the Lord has called you to remember to be about all of your days, and that's worshiping him, giving him praise, giving him glory, thinking about him. If you keep reading in Kings 18, that story of Elijah, you get to Elijah's prayer. You remember his prayer? And in his prayer, after several hours of painfully waiting for Baal to show up, he never does. Baal doesn't show up. But the prayer of Elijah... He says, hear me, O Lord, hear me. Why does Elijah want God to hear him? Listen, that this people may know that you are the Lord God. That's his prayer. He's praying that God would show himself strong in that moment amidst all the Baals uh, and Asherahs, 850 of them, I believe, Mount Carmel. He wants them to be able to see that God is the Lord overall. Well, when the people see the Lord God work, remember that fire comes down, licks up all that water out of the tree. I mean, hey, Elijah made it in such a way that if it was going to work, 
It could only be God. God worked. God showed up. And the people noticed God at work. And verse 39 gives us the response. It says that the people fell on their faces. And they said, do you remember what they said? They said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That was their response to seeing God show up. Church, I'd ask you this morning, is the Lord your God? Is he your God? As a church, we come together each Sunday. We're we're blessed with the opportunity and privilege to come together each Sunday. Have we come together and gathered together as one body, all proclaiming this one truth, this one fundamental truth that the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Closely connected to the fact that the Lord is God, I believe we see something else here in Psalm 105, and that is that he is a covenant promise-keeping God. He's a covenant promise-keeping God. This God we worship keeps his word. In a day and age where people do not keep their word, we serve a God who always keeps his word. Always. He says to Abraham, to you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. He makes the promise, in fact, when they were but strangers in the land and very few. Notice the line through which he continues the promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The patriarchs, the forefathers. He remembers his covenant forever, verse 8 says. He remembers his covenant forever. This God whom we worship doesn't go back on his word. He's faithful to keep his promises. What God says, he will do. He is trustworthy. He can be counted on. And the scriptures are filled with examples where God said something back here in the Old Testament. And then as you get into the New Testament, you start to see all these truth connections come to fruition. You see, the God who speaks in the Bible is the God who remembers his covenant and keeps his promises. The psalmist then, starting in verses 13 and going all the way to verse 41, he unveils God's marvelous works, his wonders, his judgments. And it reads like a history of God's people. From Genesis into Exodus into Numbers, these are snapshots of how God worked among his chosen people. And as you read through the history narrative here in Psalm 105, you'll notice God's protective hand. Notice it says in the text that he permitted none, no one to do them harm. You'll see God's provisional hand. Even in the midst of a famine, what's God do? He sends before them a man named Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph, the book of Genesis. At a time when his people are being oppressed by the Egyptians, he sends Moses his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. And it's through these men that God performed many signs and wonders. His glory was made known throughout mighty Egypt by what? By the sending of those plagues, which are recorded here in Psalm 105. Many of them from verse 26 down to verse 37, 36, excuse me. Speaks of 
plague of darkness. Water, turning the water into blood. And the frogs, and the lice, and the flies. Those are all reference to the plagues. Verses 37 and 38 speak of God's generous provisions for his people as they left Egypt following the death of the firstborn in Egypt. You might recall that Pharaoh, after this particular event, he calls Moses and Aaron in and he says to them, go, take all your people with you, go, be gone from here. And we read these words in Exodus 12, 35 and 36. It says the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses and they had asked from the Egyptians for articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. Remember that? The very next verse, in verse 36 of Exodus 12, it says the Lord and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. This God whom we worship not only rescues, not only delivers, but sufficiently provides for his people. See, God is greater than Pharaoh. He is greater than any world power. The proverb writer says it this way, that God himself holds the heart of the earthly king in his hand and he turns it wherever he wishes. Proverbs 21 verse 1. The psalmist isn't done with the history of God's work. Look at verse 39, Psalm 105. It says he spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light in the night. You remember what that's pointing to? Remember that? We go back to Numbers chapter 9. This is a wonderful passage of scripture actually. If you take time to read Numbers chapter 9, you see that in Numbers chapter 9, starting in verses 15, I read 15 and 16. It says, now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. From evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle, like the appearance of fire. From evening until morning. So while it's dark outside, fire above the tabernacle, tent of meeting. His presence is there. During the day, the cloud is there. Verse 16. So it was always, always, so it was always. God's presence was with his people always. Is his presence still not with you today? If you are in Christ Jesus, his presence is not only with you, his presence is in you, in the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And if you keep reading all the way to verse 23, I believe that the writer here really wants us to understand God's presence with his people. He says it time. In almost every verse, he repeats himself. He wants everybody to understand God is with his people. His presence is with them. And so they knew when to go. And they knew when to stay. This God whom we worship, he guides our way. He makes himself known to his people. And he makes it very clear when they were to stay encamped. And when they were to journey, if that cloud moves from above the tabernacle, time to move. If it remains, the people knew to stay put. And he still serves today as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path through this word he's given to us. His word shows us what he desires. His spirit within us empowers us to walk in the way that he's called us to walk. 
Look at verse 40, Psalm 105. His wonders continue. The people asked and he brought quail, satisfied them with the bread of heaven. Remember that? Quail? Actually, the psalmist here is pretty generous when he says that the people asked. If you know the account, you know they didn't just simply ask. Like, Lord, can we please have some quail? That wasn't how it went. If you read the account in numbers, you see that it went totally different. It was probably, we could probably insert a couple words that would give it more of the right flavor. And that is whining and complaining. That's really what happened. They were complaining about this manna. They weren't content with what had been given to them. And so they are complaining for some meat. Give us some meat to eat. You know, things might have been bad in Egypt. But we at least had some meat options on the menu. The Lord told Moses that his people will eat meat. I love this. And he says, Moses, they're not going to eat meat for one day. They're not going to eat meat for two days. They're not going to eat meat for five days or 10 days or 20 days. They are going to eat meat for a whole month. They're going to have so much meat it's going to come rolling out of their nostrils. I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. They're going to be sick of this meat. I'm going to give them meat. Be careful what we ask for. Moses then, when he hears that God's going to provide meat for this rebellious lot, he's at a loss as to how this is all going to go down. He says, Lord, you said you're providing meat for a whole month. There's 600,000 men on foot. Are we going to slaughter the flocks and herds? Or are we going to get our fishing nets and gather the fish of the sea for this one? I love what God says to Moses next. Numbers chapter 11, verse 23. You might write this one down. This is a wonderful verse right here. Numbers 11, verse 23. The Lord says to Moses... Has the Lord's arm been shortened? He says, now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. God said, I'm going to provide meat. Moses, in his limited understanding, his limited thinking, just like you and me, we have very limited understanding when it comes to God's thoughts, God's ways, higher than ours. We sometimes think we know. Well, it's got to be, well, it's got to be the, the, the herds or the flocks or, or it's got to be the fish. Which one are we going to do, God? God says, my arm's not been shortened. Now you're going to be able to see. In other words, he doesn't say it, but we could translate, summarize what the Lord says to Moses. It's this. Trust me. Walk by faith. I'm God. What I said, I'm going to make good on. Notice at the end of Numbers eleven twenty three, it's the end of the conversation. End of conversation. But it does provide a wonderful, it's a wonderful starter for conversation. And, and for us, it's this. Do you believe that what the Lord says he will do? Will you walk by faith, being fully convinced 
that what he has promised, he is also able to perform. Romans 4.21. Look at one more wonder here in Psalm 105. Look at verse 41. It says, he opened the rock and water gushed out. It ran in the dry places like a river. Not only did he provide meat, but he provides drink as well. He graciously provided water despite Moses' disobedience. Despite Moses' disobedience. You see, God said, speak to the rock. And Moses whacks it twice with the rod. The rod wasn't intended to hit the rock. The rod, I believe, was intended to get the people's attention that the presence of the Lord was with his leader. But the God whom we worship cares for his people. And even their animals, he provides for their animals that were also in need of water. And on this day, he opened up the rock for an abundance of water. Remember worship. This is why we're here. To worship the one who made us, the one who sustains us, the one who has saved us. We are to glory in his name. And the psalmist also encourages us to remember the God whom we worship. He is the Lord our God. He is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. He is the God who has and will continue to work mightily through history. He is faithful to provide all needful things for his people. You see, this God whom we worship tests us, but is always with us through the trials. Isn't it comforting to know that God himself remembers his holy promise? Look at verse 42. Verse 42. He, for he remembered his holy promise. He remembered his holy promise. And Abraham, his servant, he brought out his people with joy, his chosen ones with gladness. He gave them the lands of the Gentiles and they inherited the labor of the nations that they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise the Lord. So why recount his marvelous works, his wonders and his judgments? Verses 13 through 41. Why? Why does he take time? I believe they all serve as means for remembering his holy promise. He is a promise-keeping God. He's always going to do what he says. And so the psalmist here draws the connection between God keeping his promises and God's people keeping God's word. Think about that. If the Lord is our God and his work is evidenced throughout history and he is a keeper of promises... What's keeping you from keeping his word? God remembers his holy promises. And God acts on them. We are his people. Psalm 100, the sheep of his pasture, right? We are his people. We are, as Peter says in chapter 2, verse 9, we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy Nation, We are his own special people. And then it goes on and says, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Worship. We are his people. 
having established a relationship with God, having been reconciled unto God through Jesus Christ by means of his blood shed on the cross at Calvary. And as a child of God, we too are called to act upon this word of truth. He's given. You see, we are now under obligation. We are under obligation as a child of God to love Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? To love, to serve. Joshua 24, serve. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Kings 18. How long are you going to falter between two opinions? If, God, if the Lord is God, follow him. To walk, 1 John 2, 6. He who says he abides in him must also walk as Christ himself walked. We're under obligation to walk as Christ walked. If we package all of that together, we see that we are called, we are under obligation to worship him. That's the idea the psalmist is communicating here. We are under obligation now to worship him all of our days. Psalm 105 calls us back to the basic fundamentals of the faith. It's a return to why we're here. It's intended to show us not only how to spend our days, but to look intently upon the God who has placed us here to begin with. We worship the Lord our God, for he is worthy to be praised. Amen? He's worthy to be praised. The God who has worked in the past is the same God who can be trusted in the future. We sing that hymn, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Sunday, December 9th, 2007, marked the beginning of what would later become known as Hope in Christ Church. How many of you were around on Sunday, December 9th, 2007 in that first gathering? I knew there would be a couple of you. Excellent. As I remember those early days... I recall the many families coming together over those first few weeks. Some running, I believe, as fast as they could away from a previous painful situation. Some just glad to be among other people who home educated. Some perhaps feeling like they'd just come out of hibernation after spending a great deal of time worshiping in their own homes. Some just glad to have families together in the main gathering of the church. Some excited to see their best friends also a part of this gathering. You know, I think to that time of new beginnings and if I had it to do all over again, knowing what God has taught me to this point, I believe I'd preach Psalm 105. And I'd encourage each one of you to start at the very beginning. To remember that we're not here primarily to circle around home education. We're not here primarily to circle around family integration. We're not here primarily to pin down to a T every single doctrine in the scriptures. Yes, the church is the pillar of truth. And we want to uphold that truth. There's a way we go about it though. So what then are we primarily to be about? We are called 
to worship collectively with one voice the Lord God and to remember this God whom we worship all of our days. The psalmist has called us to remember worship, to remember the God whom we worship, to remember that as his people, we are under obligation now to love and to serve and to walk and to worship this God with our whole heart. I can't go backward and preach Psalm 105. But the Lord has granted a seven-year marker point for this church family. See, we serve a faithful God who has walked with us through many painful trials and challenges. He has not forsaken us, nor has he left us. My hope is still in the Lord, Jesus Christ. His word is still true. His spirit is still mighty. It's still powerful to enable me to be a witness to Jesus. You know, sometimes God's people just need a remembrance of the basics. And I pray that hope in Christ will hold on to hope in the days ahead. Worshiping with all their might the God worthy of worship. You know, Paul, as he was speaking to the church in Philippi, Paul had confidence in this one thing. I love what he says. He was confident, Philippians 1.6. Confident that he who has begun a good work in you, speaking to those in Philippi, but no doubt connected to what we're talking about this morning. He who has begun a good work in you, Paul says, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. See, the God whom we worship has no beginning point. You ever thought about that? He is from everlasting. This God has already started in you and in this church family a good work. I love how Paul speaks of God completing his work in us. He says, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. In other words, be certain of it. It's going to happen. And then he says, he'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, he is at work in us, even now, carrying out finishing touches on his people until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's completing his good work on a present, ongoing basis. So what's that mean? It means that tomorrow morning, when you wake up, be reminded that God is continuing this day to complete his good work in you. Every day we get up, that ought to be something on our radar. God today is completing his work in me. He's completing that work in me that he started. And he's going to keep completing it until the day of Jesus Christ. Isn't that encouraging? To know that God is doing that work. And as we remember how God began a good work seven years ago, I'm trusting that he who started that work in particular is also faithful to complete it. I don't yet know what the completion looks like for hope in Christ. But in light of Psalm 105, I'm called back to the fundamentals of the faith. I'm confronted with the responsibility that I have here as a child of the king. I've been given here this morning a remembrance of God's word. A remembrance of worship. To be thankful, prayerful, evangelism driven. 
to sing unto the Lord, to talk about him, to glory in his name, to seek him, to rejoice in him with all of my heart, and then to remember the God whom I worship. You see, because it's because of who he is, what he's done, how he's worked through history, proven himself faithful time and time and time again. It's as though, you know, we've been looking in one direction for such a long time, and the psalmist here in Psalm 105 takes us by the chin, and he redirects us. How many of you parents have done that with one of your small children? One of your small children, you're talking to them and they're not looking at you. And you take them by the chin and you you have them look at you. That's what the psalmist is doing here. He's, He's helping us. He's turning us to be able to look at this great God that we're to worship. Psalm 105 ends with a declaration of worship. And that's where I'd like to end as we celebrate seven years of life together at Hope in Christ. Let's remember the good work that he has started. And in response to who he is and all he's done, all of God's people can say this morning. We can just read those last three words. Hopefully they're the same in all translations that we have before us. If they're not, let me just say them and then we'll repeat them together. It's praise the Lord. So in unison, let's give God Thanks this morning by just saying those three words together, okay? Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Many of you might recall that song that goes with Philippians 1.6. Thought it fitting just to be able to sing that together. Then we're going to pray. If you know it, you can sing along. If you don't know it, you'll be able to pick it up and snap. He who began a good work in you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Will be faithful to complete it. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for starting a good work in each one of us. The good work that you have started, you have said that you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And we look forward with eager expectation for that coming day when Jesus returns. But we also look forward to each day that you give us here on earth, knowing and trusting that you are completing your good work in us. May that provide us comfort and encouragement each day to keep going in the journey. And Father, I pray this church remembers and never forsakes the basics of worship. Your church is a worshiping community of believers. And as we worship, may we never lose sight of who you are, the God whom we worship. You are the Lord, our God. You have proven faithful through all generations. And we praise you this day for your loving kindness toward your people. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.